All right. Well, good morning again. I want to start out with a, a quick story. So um, we have a sister church in Richmond called Church of the Incarnation. And um, though Richmond is not necessarily the far reaches of the world, um, it's still an example of the ways that our church is connected with other brothers and sisters in the faith and other places. So Church of the Incarnation has been worshiping in a Baptist church for, since they started for a couple of years. Um, they just started a few, uh, two to three years ago. And the church that they've been worshiping in has been getting smaller over the years. And they realized that their time um, was coming to an end, that the, their time and their way that, that God had called uh, them to serve as a church, um, it's closing. And so they have determined to give their building away for free to another church because they want it, their building to remain a church. Not only to give their building away, but to also give $250,000 to be used for service to the poor. So they have been working with several churches to discern who to give the church away to. Stephen said it's kind of like a Christian bachelor sort of situation where they're interviewing different churches um, because Church of the Incarnation is not a Baptist church, um, they wanted to consider other churches. And so they're considering other Baptist churches while considering Church of the Incarnation. Now, there, it's come down to four churches, and they've had each of these churches host a worship service for them as part of the process. Now, this morning is the last church, and it's Church of the Incarnation. Right now, they're worshiping with them. And afterward, Stephen will have a time where he shares with uh, the leaders of this Baptist church what their vision would be for using the building um, and, and their vision for ministry and so on. And then next Sunday is this church's last Sunday to worship, and they'll decide after who they will give their building away to and the funds. So I'm telling you this story as a way of reminding you that we're connected with lots of other Christians, with other churches. And to ask you to please pray for Church of the Incarnation in Richmond, that God would bless them and give them favor in this process. Because if, if this doesn't turn out to be for them, then they will also have to find another place to worship, which would be a large upheaval in the life of their body, considering they've been there for several years, two to three years now. So pray for them. Pray that God would bless them in their ministry. Now, our church, Church of the Lamb, is part of a diocese which is a region of churches that's connected together in relationship and doing work together. So our diocese, the Diocese of Christ Our Hope, spans from North Carolina to Maine, north to south, and out to um, Kentucky, West Virginia, other places to the, to the west. Now, we're also part of what's called a province. And in this case, a province is just a, a fancy-sounding word for a larger region of churches. So our province is called the Anglican Church of North America, or the ACNA, and there are 11 other Anglican provinces in the world. So a few of these are South America, Uganda, and Europe, and there are around 85 million Anglicans around the world. So these are the brothers and sisters who are worshiping using much the same way of worship that we're using this morning, and they're going to confess their faith and much the same way that we will after the sermon. So when we're talking about World Mission Sunday, this isn't something abstract. In fact, 
a lot of the liturgy that we're using today, we're using the uh, Anglican Church of Kenya's liturgy. So the way that we confessed our sins earlier was the, the confession from the Anglican Church of Kenya. So this is not something abstract to us. We're, we are united with brothers and sisters in the faith. Now, I want to take a look at the vision that the scriptures that we heard this morning, the, the vision that they paint for us. So in Genesis chapter 12, that gets read for us. God tells Abraham that he will bless all the families of the earth through him. Then in Psalm 86, King David says that God is drawing all the nations to worship him. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. Then in Revelation chapter 7, John, the apostle, sees a great multitude from every nation, all tribes, peoples, and languages, who stand before the throne of God, praising him with palm branches and shouts of joy. Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You notice a common thread in these scriptures. I hope it's clear. These scriptures come from all over the biblical landscape, the beginning, the middle, the end but they focus in a single direction, a humanity that is divided because of sin by various languages, ethnicities, cultures, and innumerable other differences. But this humanity is on track to be unified before the creator God. And the unity that God makes for humanity is not through a forced march. I hope this is clear in these scriptures. It's not a forced march, nor is it a a romantic idealism. The unity that comes is hard won by the lamb who offers himself as a sacrifice for sin. The lamb who breaks down the dividing wall of hostility between peoples and nations. And those who receive this unity are gathered around him in revelation, and they've offered themselves as a sacrifice in return. Now, taken together, these passages tell a pretty breathtaking story of how God has worked in the world, of how God is working in the world right now, and of how God will work in the world. It is really easy to lose track of this story when headlines are screaming at us about impending war. It's hard to believe that we, there is a unified humanity that God is creating in the world when we see nations that are on the verge of warring against each other, other nations that already are warring against each other. Those are really important stories for us to know about as Christians in some ways. But we need to keep before us what God has done in the past and what God intends to do in the future so that we can live appropriately now with hope. How has God worked in the past? God has worked to unify a broken and divided humanity. This is what God has done. If you've been around the church for very long, this is something you may have heard a lot, but it's something we need to be reminded of. And here's what that is, that God has always used very broken people and very broken families to create unity and to bless his world. So take the story of Abraham. Abraham is merely a guy, just any other guy in the world. 
But in, and in one significant way, Abraham was actually a failure in the world. He's a guy with a wife and no children. And that may not seem like a big deal to you, but it was to Abraham and it was to everyone around him in the time that he lived. He was just a hair away from being forgotten from history. But God transforms the landscape of Abraham's life. He tells Abraham, leave your homeland and go to a land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, at this point is the start of a long and painful road of Abraham learning to submit his life to another of learning to live by faith instead of self-reliance. By learning to submit to God and by learning to live by faith, Abraham puts himself in the way of God's blessings. His family, despite all their flaws, and in case you haven't read this story or you've forgotten it, there are a lot of flaws in Abraham's family. But his family still becomes a blessing for generations. Now, there are a couple of things that stand out to me in the story of Abraham's family as they become a blessing to others. One thing is that they're willing to leave everything to listen to the voice of God. Now, this is not to say that this is exactly what you will have to do in order to listen to the voice of God. But to be a blessing for others, you do have to live with your hands open. You cannot live at the same time being open to the voice of God and trying to hang on tightly to your life as it is. Abraham and his family are willing to leave everything in order to live uh, live for the voice of God in their lives. A second thing that stands out about Abraham and his family is that despite their, their flaws, they do grow over time. It's slow and you continue to see flaws but they grow. For for instance, they lie less and less over time. And that's progress. If you read the story of Abraham, they have these glaring flaws about not telling the truth, about being deceptive. But over time, it gets better. What God does in the lives of Abraham's family is amazing. And if you haven't read these stories or you haven't read them recently, you should read the book of Genesis. No matter how messed up your family may be, and all of our families are messed up in some way, you can read these stories and think, you know what? There's hope. God works through people, broken people. This is the way that God has worked in the world, and he still works this way. He works in individuals and families over the long haul to make them a blessing for the world. And this same pattern of God working in an individual to affect the world is in Psalm 86, too. So listen to Psalm 86, chapter uh, verse 9. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. That's a vast vision, isn't it? All the nations you've made shall come and worship before you. But how does that vast vision come to be? David says immediately following this, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. You see, this is the counterintuitive way that God has worked in the world. 
He starts locally. And when I say locally, I mean as local as it gets with me and my heart, uniting all my fragmented desires to fear God alone. So I want to ask you, would you say that your heart is becoming more united to fear God alone above all else? The world's problems and our nation's problems are presented to us in the news and on social media as these vast ideas that require systemic solutions. And, And that may be true to some extent. But Christian faith always deals with the concrete, with you and me and our hearts. The question is, are you on the kind of course with God that is continually uniting your heart to fear him and to fear him alone? This is the way that he makes you a blessing to the world. God is using individuals and families to make them a blessing for the world. And it If you're a Christian, what I think you need to hear in this is don't give up on God's work in your life. God's work in your family. Keep surrendering. Keep living with your hands open to God, willing to take those big steps when God might call you to take them. Willing to leave everything behind if you have to. If you're willing to do the big things. You'll also be willing to do the little things. Actually, it goes both ways. You you learn to do the big things by taking the small steps, but we have to also be willing to take those large steps. If you're not a Christian, you need to hear in this that this is the way that God desires to use you as a blessing for the world. By transforming you. By making you a more true human being, forming you more and more into his image and likeness. Like Abraham, you need to learn to step out, to leave life as you know it, which is perhaps a service to you or the way you imagine serving others. And to leave that and move into a life that God calls you to live, to serve him first and to allow him to teach you how to serve the world. God has worked in the world. He is working in the world right now by calling people like you and me to serve him and to be transformed into his likeness. But there's another way he's working in the world right now and the way he's going to work in the future. That is through the church, the bride of Christ. The church is God's way of bringing his designs into the present. The vision of heaven that we heard from the book of Revelation, where all the nations, tribes, and peoples are gathered around the throne before the Lamb. This vision is to be mirrored on earth through the life of the church. So every Sunday, our church recites a creed that the church has recited in some form for nearly all of its history. And one of the phrases of the creed is, I believe in one holy Catholic church. And you might notice if you look in our worship guide that the word Catholic here isn't capitalized. We're not referring here to the Roman Catholic Church. We're using the word Catholic in its root meaning, which is the universal church. 
The church in every place gathers as one people around the throne of the Lamb who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sin and redemption so that we might receive the Holy Spirit and become a greater blessing to the world as as children of Abraham. Whether the church is worshiping under a tree right now in Uganda, in secret in China or some other place, or on Zoom, we're using the same creed, our belief in one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as we proclaim this creed, we're professing a true unity, a unity that's obtained through the work of the Lamb and the power of the Spirit. And when the church is willing to display this unity, it bears witness to the world. The language of diversity and unity and equality are so important in the wider culture right now. The culture doesn't acknowledge it, but this vision comes from the Christian story. The problem is there's no longer a common vision around what that diversity actually means. No agreement about what it means to be a true human being, to be morally responsible, or to be fallen as human beings to be broken by sin. And because of this lack of agreement about around these common things, the world's vision of unity isn't stable enough to preserve the thing that it seeks. But in the church, God displays a true diversity, a true unity. And again, it's not a forced march. It's created by the lamb, by his loving sacrifice that draws all people from every tribe, nation, language, and people. And the lamb has invited all of us into his unity to become children of Abraham through his cross, through his sacrifice for sin. He invites us to be forgiven and loved in spite of everything that we've been and in spite of the things that we continue to do. So the question is whether you are receiving this work of the lamb that brings you into the unity of the church. Now my burden and prayer for lamb is that we would have opportunity to live into the vision of Revelation chapter seven right now. Church of the Incarnation, our mother church, has had this wonderful opportunity through their partnership with Cush Anglican, which is an Arabic-speaking church that meets in their building on Sunday afternoons. It's given Cush, so Cush is made up of immigrants and refugees who are in political exile, who were persecuted because of their faith in Jesus and had to escape death by coming here and taking refuge here. So the partnership between Incarnation and Cush has given Cush resources they need as an immigrant and refugee community in need. And because of the the many of the people at Cush are refugees from war-torn places, it's taught Incarnation much about how to be people of faith in adverse situations. It's been a mutually beneficial partnership. Cush has received things they need that Incarnation is gifted in, and Incarnation has received things that they need about what it means to be faithful in difficulty and in pain. I'd like you to join me in praying that Lamb would have some kind of creative opportunity like this. 
So a sister church in our diocese that has gardens at their church, we followed them a lot and talked about them. They've been able to partner with refugee communities who've planted their native crops in their gardens because they weren't able to find these crops elsewhere and buy them at the grocery store. So that's a creative partnership, a way for the the church to um, offer gifts and resources that they have and to receive relationship through it. I'd like you to pray and to be on the lookout for creative partnerships like this, where we can share our gifts that we have as a church, our resources, and experience the gift of relationship with other Christians who may have experienced a lot more difficulty or different kinds of difficulty than we have experienced as a church. God has promised that he will work in the world through very broken people like you and me. He's promised to reform us into his image. And as we continue to fail to show us his mercy and still to use us in spite of those failings, God also has promised that he is going to work through the church in the midst of all its brokenness as well. He is going to purify the church and make it into a pure and holy bride. Did you hear in the vision of Revelation chapter 7 that they are clothed in white? And the reason they can be clothed in white is not because of their own perfection, a holiness that they've earned, but it's because of the lamb and the holiness that he earned for them. Have you received the lamb's mercy in your life? Are you receiving his mercy and his forgiveness for your sake? And are you being clothed in his purity? Through the lamb, God will bring about the unity of all peoples. And he will continue the breathtaking story. And he will show us the consummation of this breathtaking story. When we arrive together with all the saints joined around the throne of God, singing his praises. Amen.